Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Theo, it's great to have you along on the podcast today on what is a, uh, a beautiful Brisbane, uh, almost spring morning. Uh, to begin with, Theo, why don't you just let us know a little bit about your current professional responsibilities? Yeah, look, thanks, Richard. It's great to be here with you. Um, look, at the, I'm executive chairman of Metallica Minerals. Uh, we're an ASX listed company. And uh, what's keeping me busy, uh, not so much five or six days a week, but an exciting opportunity, we're developing a silica sand project in far north Queensland. Uh-huh. And uh, so for those who are unfamiliar with silica sand, tell us a, a bit more about that. Yeah, it's uh, one of the uh, minerals that the Australian government's added to their critical minerals list. Uh, the key, uh, it is the key ingredient that goes into the manufacturing of glass to support the booming solar panel manufacturing around the world. Right. Okay. And um, and Metallica's an organisation that's been around for a little while. Um, is this its sole project, or has it been doing other things in the meantime? Look, it is sole focus. Um, we are drilling elsewhere in a small copper uh, porphyry project, but 95% of our focus, you know, our strategy is to become an exporter of silica sand. Mm-hmm. And um, so hence it is dominating um, our working days. Right. And from uh, my understanding, the mine's expected to go into production sometime in 2025. Absolutely. We, we, we expect to be waving goodbye to our first shipment in the first half of 2025. All right. Excellent. And so how big is the team at the moment? Look, permanence is about five people, but yeah. like many companies of our size in the ASX space, we use a lot of consultants for metallurgy, uh, for geology in particular, and we'll soon be outsourcing the planning of our marine operations, which is, you know, barging for want of a better better word. We're about to outsource uh, the role of study manager for a bankable feasibility study. Mm-hmm. So we've kept the, the team is pretty lean from a permanent perspective, but the ability that we have there is that, you know, in the, in the resources industry, you can switch things on and off as you need. Um, so, but it's not going to stay a small team. We're going to be recruiting over the next 12 months for some very key positions. Okay, great. Well, let's come back a little bit uh, later in the conversation to that. And uh, Theo, I'm always interested in, you know, understanding uh, the backstory of the people that, uh, you know, I'm talking to on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about where you were born and mum and dad and early life and so on. Yeah, um, well, thank you. Um, Both my parents uh, were born in Australia. Uh, I had three grandparents who emigrated from Greece uh, many, many years ago. I was born and raised in a very small country town in northern New South Wales called Inverell. Uh-huh. Um, and I was offered a role in a local accounting firm before I'd finished my grade 12, and it seemed the easy thing to do. I mean, I enjoyed finance. I enjoyed that side of things. But as I, as I went through, um, you know, some very interesting years of looking after local businesses, I was growing out of my hometown, and I moved to Brisbane 
in late 1987 and started working for Price Waterhouse here in Brisbane in 88. So Theo, uh, did you do your accounting studies, you know, in Inverell or you travelled down to complete those first? Yeah, I did my degree through the University of New England via correspondence. Okay. So, which, which, you know, was okay at the time. It was. I wouldn't recommend it now because, not only because it doubled the length of time, but it, it's just the, the working during the day and then studying at night. Probably okay in a small country town of ten thousand people, but I started my professional year in Inverell, mm-hmm. and I was the only person in town doing it. And yet I moved to Brisbane, and I think I was one of about fifteen in the Brisbane office doing their PY. Okay. So I went. Yeah, so significant contrast. Were your, were your, was your family in agriculture or were they in business as well? No, um, like many of the Greeks, uh, my father's um, father and uncle had a local cafe. Okay. And, um, and my, my father uh, worked for the Ford Agency uh, in Inverell and my mother worked in the high school library. So when, you know, when yours truly was playing up, Right. In a senior room, this face would sort of bob up in the library with a stern look on her face. <laughs> and so, uh, so anyway, so 1987, 88, you came down to the big smoke. The big town of Brisbane. All right. Yeah. And joined PwC. Absolutely. Okay. And then, and then in 1990, I was the last of 12 people I studied PY together, the professional year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took leave of absence. Uh, for 18 months and went off to, like many, to the UK for a work holiday uh, time. Uh, that 18 months became three years because okay. I, I had a great, great job. I had a great boss here in Brisbane who just said to me, come back when you're ready. And, um, yeah, no, I had a fantastic time in living in London. And what uh, sort of work were you doing while you were over there? Uh, predominantly fraud and insider trading. Okay, okay. So staying within... It wasn't like you were pulling beers in a pub or anything like that. Uh, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> listeners might be intrigued to know that the UK looked very fondly on Australian uh, trained accountants, uh, okay. and they pay, and they paid us very well. Also, oh, very good, nice. excellent. And so, uh, and then not long after you came back uh, to Australia, you joined um, Queensland Rugby Union. Yeah, I came back. Um, I actually had a stint at Coopers and uh-huh. Libran. Um, I, I did do two years in Papua New Guinea in the Port, Port Moresby office of Price Waterhouse, um, but I always had this love and passion for sport. And during my time in in London, um, I was fortunate enough to go to many of the games in the 1991 Rugby World Cup. And it was a period where rugby was thinking of going professional. So if I fast forward, I saw this um, global sport as something that, see, if I ever worked, worked in sport, this could be this could be a handy code to be part of. And so um, in 1998, uh, I saw an ad for a finance sort of uh, company secretary ops role with Queensland Rugby. And I guess at the time, very surprisingly, um, I got the job. So that that was more of a a board type engagement, was it, Theo? Not full-time? No, it was full-time. Oh, that was full-time, right. Yeah, yeah. I had I ended up having eight years with Queensland Rugby, uh, and the last three years of that eight were as um, CEO. Okay. Um, and as a director of the of the QRU, um, so I certainly saw significant change. Um, saw quite a number of coaches come and go, players come and go, and um, 
Yeah, no, it was uh, it was a certainly enthralling, exciting, but at the same time a politically volatile environment to be in. Not uh, a space you'd wanted to, you know, extend out your career. You sort of had a taste for, you know, uh, a few years and that was enough, was it? Well, I, I guess boards come and go, mm. chairmen come and go. Um, sometimes uh, CEOs get on very well, with every chairman that comes through the door. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, you know, because you're in a public role, it's fairly well documented that things come to an end as, mm-hmm. as there are changes at the governance level. Um, so, you know, my other passion is, is motorsport. And I ended up working for Porsche um, for a couple of years. But, I, you know, Richard, I, I didn't want to be uh, working in sport in the later part of my professional career. And so after nearly 10 years in the sporting world, mind you, I mean, my time in rugby gave me significant contacts in government mm-hmm. on all sides, of, all sides of politics. And I've still got relationships to this day um, with key identities. And the time with Porsche exposed me to some significantly um, serious business people uh, in Australia. So, you know, that aside, um, for not wanting to sort of continue working in sport forever, gave me significant business contacts that I'm still using now. Mm -hmm. And so what then motivated the move into the mining industry? Well, the job uh, with Porsche was heading to Melbourne and we're very much entrenched here in Brisbane. The kids are just joined um, the little primary school around the corner from home. And so I was fortunate to meet the then chairman of Metallica and they were spinning out a coal exploration company on the ASX. And, you know, their brief was, we've got all these good technical people. We need someone to run the business and, and not so much run the business, but run the, the commercial side, politically, the government side of things. And um, here I was thinking, geez, coal, I've never worked in resources. Mm-hmm. And um, it was uh, certainly a challenge through the GFC, but I was very fortunate that the team, we, we got the listing of Metro Coal away at the end of December 2009. Yeah, it's uh, right around uh, the same time as I started Arachase. So I, I remember those heady years, 2009, 2010. <laughs> what, a, what a nightmare that was. And so, uh, and so Metro Coal, uh, sorry, Metro Coal, five years there. Uh, in that role of COO. And it looks as though at that time then starting to move almost more into a portfolio career. Yeah. um, Again, that time with Metro Coal, yours truly ended up doing quite a lot of travel marketing and positioning the company and credit to the CEO at the time that he was happy for me to do it. Um, Raising money, you know, like any um, explorer, it constantly, constantly needs capital. So I sort of cut my teeth. Uh, in that regard and just really, really enjoyed it. And unfortunately, you know, with commodities, thermal coal fell off a cliff and the board and the new chairman decided to take the company into the bauxite area. So it, it, it really wasn't my cup of tea. So I then went out um, and worked for one of the proponents who'd planned to build the Surat Basin Rail to get the Surat Basin up and running as a coal coal basin and i guess for that period after metro coal it was a period of consulting government relations a little bit of capital raising helping businesses get ready um, to raise capital and um yeah great variety of work uh, so the rail uh, organization you're talking about was atec was it correct atec right. rail group okay yeah. so- 
And so I, because I, I, we've known each other for a long time, and I know that you became very, uh, I suppose, uh, niched into that capital rise, raising space, and were you know uh, advising organisations. So what what then drew you back into what is now really a full time gig with uh, Metallica? Yeah, it's an interesting story, Richard. I was approached by the founder of Metallica Minerals, uh, Andrew Gillies. Back in 2018, uh, the shareholders of Metallica were not happy with the direction of the company. And two shareholders put together 6% of the shareholder base. Um, You might be aware that to call an extraordinary general meeting, you need at least 5% of the shareholders to do so. Mm -hmm. And 6% of the shareholders called an extraordinary general meeting and removed the board. And so these um, shareholders and Andrew asked me to one come on the board and then sounded me out to be chairman and I thought hmm, this will be um, a bit of a challenge a bit of a turnaround story but let's give it a go. Sorry Theo, um, just to cut you off just for a second there so how were you on the radar of those shareholders because you because of your prior history with the organization or you know why were you the, the one that they wanted to tap? Um, I guess credit to Andrew Gillies. When he was asked about people that he would recommend to mm-hmm. come on the board, um, he consulted with one or two uh, mutual colleagues and that, that prompted the phone call. Are you okay. interested? Yep. yep. Right. And so uh, you, you, you kind of went in with your eyes wide open then. You knew the history. You'd had some involvement with the certain people within the organisation in the past. Uh, and you felt you were ready for the challenge. Yeah, I what I wasn't ready for, and it's and it's well documented because we had to release uh, a lot of information to the market, and probably we could talk for hours about you know what was um, discovered. But I tend to try and look forward. But it was certainly a very challenging twelve months mm-hmm. in that first twelve months of being on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, was the challenge very? representative of what you had understood it to be or you know uh, did did it still throw some curveballs at you it was always going to be a challenge i didn't expect it to be as big a challenge as it right. was and um curveballs yeah some big ones but right. um yeah so so if you think back now i mean executive chair you've been in that role for well you know three and a half years what what have been some of the key milestones during that period? You know, as you've the organisation's turned around and it's now got a, you know a much you know more exciting story to tell. For me, the the very first milestone was getting the board together, members of management, and a couple of key shareholders, and actually coming up with a strategic plan. Mm-hmm. And 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 plans can be wonderful. Some companies do all the right things, prepare them, and throw them in the top drawer. It's a document we re, re, we revisit regularly. And it basically, um, and we told the shareholders what it was. It was basically saying in the year, it was sorry, within the next five years, Metallica Minerals would be an exporter of silica sand and, and would have a second project that would follow sometime thereafter. And that was our, so the key aspect there, Richard, was, was for Metallica to be totally focused. Metallica has been successful over the years in identifying some very, very good geological deposits. Some they've sold, some they've um, explored 
to no avail. But we just wanted the company to be more focused, not one that was known for a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm. So that was probably the key milestone. And it, and it brought everyone on the same page. Since that time, um, getting rid of a few projects that were never going to be company makers, as, as painful as that process could be. Um, importantly, a credit to uh, Andrew and Scott Waddell, who stood, stepped down from the board um, and Andrew retired. Scott's still our CFO, and I'm certainly pleased to still have him part of the team. But I was able to renew the board, bring in totally new thinking, bring in production experience, people with international experience. So, yes, still the same name, but how we how we look and how we behave was going to change demonstrably. Mm. What, and, what? Sorry, go on. No, you go. No, and I guess the other milestone, we had no idea really what we had up at Cape Flattery. Mm-hmm. But call it good luck, good timing, good management, whatever, the world was waking up to uh, a growing demand leading into a boom demand for silica sand. And I, and since that time, um, there's been many highlights along the way. We've still got some way to go, still more to be learnt about the project, but the journey's been uh, full of milestones. Mm. What would you say were some of the learnings of being a CEO within the sporting industry that were easily able to be adopted and, you know, uh, uh, to this role within the mining space versus, you know, what are some of the substantive differences between leading a sporting organisation and leading a mining organisation? Let's let's start with the similarities. Um, at the end of the day, there are, there is a team or teams that need to be led. And whether you're, I'm of the view, whether you're an elite athlete or a geologist or a, an engineer, you really, really want to know where the organisation is heading. Mm. So, you know, there's relationships to be forged. There is strategies to be put in place. Um, and the and the day-to-day management is very similar. Um, both are politically charged environments. Um, you know, rugby union is one of the most brilliant sports on the planet, but one of the most politically volatile environments. But then again, you step into the resource space. And, you know, if we think back to a period where we had a RSPT, which is the mining tax, we had uh, entry into uh, farmers' properties. There was so much happening at a government level. So the politics were there, but it's certainly of a different type. Mm. Um, but both organisations needed capital. I remember securing a nearly a million-dollar grant for a new building. Uh, for the Queensland Rugby Union. You know, the, the channels you go through in building relationships um, with the then Deputy Premier and Treasurer, Terry McEnroth, uh, who's sadly no longer with us. And so there are relationships to be built now within Queensland government and also now the federal government. So the similarities were that they, were, they both needed strong political relationships and during my tenure in rugby we moved from the spiritual home of rugby Ballymore mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to Suncorp Stadium and um, you know every now and then I go to a rugby game and I still get dagger looks from some of the <laughs> affectionate dagger looks from those who um, but you know time moves on mm. um, so but but 
I guess since leaving sport, there's a, and you hit the nail on the head earlier, I love the idea of selling a story and and hence raising money. Mm. And and some of the best storytelling when it's come to capital raising is when we're actually not looking for it. And you know, I worked very, I worked very closely with the then chairman of Metallica, who was chairman of Metrocol, David Barwick, many many years ago. And and it was probably a principle that you know the late Ken Talbot used that the first time you talk to someone don't be asking for money. And I'll never forget a roadshow I did in Hong Kong and Singapore years ago. I think we did about 10 meetings in the two days. And every meeting was, you must be raising money. I was saying, no, no, we're telling you about the project. So if we do come back in six months' time, we'll have ticked, hopefully ticked every box we told you I would so that you then gain confidence in us as, an, as a place to put your funds, dollars. Mm. And it's the same principle here. Um, with with Metallica, which is constantly telling the story. Yes, there are certainly there's a regulatory um, re, you know regime that we've got to sort of meet as an ASX company. But you know, like in rugby, like in the small resources space, you're competing. And my analogy is is that when we go to the supermarket, Coke and Pepsi want us to buy one of their products. Mm. I want people looking at Metallica shares going, gee, I might get some of those instead of XYZ or some other company's shares. So it's a constant communications um, program that you have to meet in making sure that the market, the media, and most importantly, your shareholders, and in our case, our traditional landowners up at Cape Flattery, know what you're up to. Mm. And I, I know, again, from our conversations that that engagement with local community, uh, the Indigenous community there has been, you know, vital to the success of the project. Um, how have you enjoyed that element of the role? It's been probably the highlight of the last two years when, as we started developing Cape Flattery. Not without its challenges, not without its tense moments, um, but from day one, and it's a principal uh I've, I guess, I was going to say impose. It's a bit strong, but the team here and myself. Uh, I remember the first meeting up in the Aboriginal township of Hofile. I said, "Our company is going to be part of your community, and not the other way around." The only time you're not going to hear um, something firsthand is is because we've released it to the stock exchange. Mm-hmm. So in that time, we've engaged, we've employed, we've planned, uh, we've taken. Uh, stockbrokers and investment bankers to the project. We took a Korean group to the project. Our best advocates for what we're wanting to do have been the traditional landowners. Mm. The Aboriginal guys have been fantastic in how they've shared their thoughts about the project, shared their positive views on us as a company. And to me, that's that's a highlight. We've still got some way to go. We're negotiating with, with them regularly on commercial aspects to build this mine. Um, but to me, that's been the highlight. The, the team at Metallica, and I guess ultimately our shareholders too, have an opportunity to deliver uh, improved economic benefits to a community that, in my view, wants it mm-hmm. and needs it. Great. And so, you know, where to from here? As you say, you know, the mine you're expecting to be in production the first half of 2025. So I mentioned that, the, you know, there's all sorts of ducks to get in line now to uh, to make sure that that all rolls out seamlessly, et cetera. Yeah, we're in this phase, Richard, where 
there's a lot of work happening, but not a lot of work that's announceable to the market. We'll soon be lodging environmental applications, uh, development, development application for, some, uh, for a jetty we're going to build for the project. Um, we've got a new federal government, so we'll be um, you know, lodging applications with them from an environmental perspective. Um, capital raising is always on the radar. We're continuing to, to negotiate with the Aboriginals. So within 12 months, in, sorry, in 12 months' time, August next year, we hope to be in a position as a board to make an investment decision. Mm-hmm. So between now and then, we need to sign up some customers to buy our product. We need to continue to discuss with financiers from both debt and equity perspective. Um, we believe our project sh- should be a recipient of some of the federal government programs, both debt funding and grant funding. So there's quite a few ingredients uh, that have to happen in the next 12 months um, to have the board of Metallica confident that they can make a decision that says, right, we're going to build this project. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then how will your uh, role um, change uh, through that period? Is the intention to remain in the role of executive chair for the foreseeable future or is there a certain life for that? I think there's a life. Um, there are certain aspects of, of what I guess I have delivered with the team here that I would not want to see them disappear. Mm-hmm. And my relationship with the TLOs, I take one very seriously and two, I build a, a significant rapport with them. And that, that in my view, um, and you know, shareholders and my fellow directors may have a different view, but I'm pretty confident that we share the same thoughts there that I would continue to build that relationship. We're going to be building a project and you know, I'm, I'm very happy with the team that we've got now. Um, some of the guys I've brought in, uh, been, are in key strategic roles who've built bulk commodity projects before. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also recognise that for how Metallica will evolve is going to need a skill set that I simply do not have. Mm-hmm. And so there, without putting a s- specific time frame on it, it's something that we as a board, as a company, uh, need to think, what are we actually going to look like when we're cutting ribbon at, at the end of 2024 or early 2025 as we prepare to start processing our first batch of silica sand. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's certainly on my radar because um, I'm a firm believer that no one has a role for life and companies need to evolve to achieve success. Mm. You mentioned earlier, you know, you did 10 years or so in sport and you said, look, uh, I don't want to, you know, finish out my career in sport. Well, you've probably done equally, if not more, now in the mining space. So do you think mining's, mining's home for you for the, the rest of your career? Or are you looking forward to you know, trying other new and interesting things? Uh, yes and yes. Um, I, I enjoy the resources space. I enjoy any business that's going to be employing people and, most importantly, creating new employment opportunities. You know, I've consulted to I sat on an advisory board for a PR company for about five years. I've consulted to um, a home doctor service, a national, you know, home building company. You know, I'm a firm believer, and it was a question you asked earlier, that a lot of the principles stay the same no matter what the business. And others might think you've got to be very, very specialised um, to, to be successful. But I guess I've proven 
that I can fit seamlessly into almost any industry. So if I look ahead, Richard, yes, I'd still like to be involved in the resources space because of, you know, one, that's where a lot of the capital raising success has been, where the relationships with government are. But I'm not immune to getting advisory board or even ASX board positions outside um, the resources. I was on, on, on the board of a, of a listed Israeli tech company for some time and enjoyed it immensely. Just, you know, you know I think we, we both learned from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly l- learned a hell of a lot about artificial intelligence. Um, I think I've retained some of it. Um, but, yeah, look, to answer your question, largely stay in resources. But, um, yeah, there'll be other industries that I know that I can, that I could um, fit into and, you know, deliver for the owners or the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Just going back to Metallica, you know, you made the comment earlier that, you know, you'd like that if somebody is looking at, well, what, what shares am I going to buy? Or, you know, I... I'll buy some Metallica instead of buying, you know, what I was, you know, uh, intending to buy. So, well, if you if you're pitching Metallica as a, you know, a great investment opportunity to, you know, uh, uh, organisations or individuals that um, perhaps are unfamiliar with the business, what would you say? There is a boom about to happen in the manufacturing of solar panels worldwide. So for that boom to happen, those manufacturers are going to need a lot of high-quality glass. And for that glass to be manufactured, they're going to need a hell of a lot of silica sand. Mm. And the the indications are that there are not enough high-quality silica sand projects to feed the demand. So that's the key driver. Secondly, um, many of your listeners will be somewhat shocked to hear me say that say this i believe that uh, the market's not recognizing the value that we can deliver with this project but the market is what the market is so i got to be careful there with what i say um and we're a more strategically focused company um you know than metallica has been in the past and hence you know as i said before right time right place silica sand has a significant future and as to where it's as where our project sits, there are other companies in Queensland. We're right beside next uh, next door to the world's largest Mitsubishi, but there is room for all of us in what this market is going to need. And yeah, I would say that is the key driver. Just think of where silica sand is going to be in a very short space of time. Now's the time to uh, to have a serious look and do your own research mm-hmm. on um, the potential to pick up some uh, some uh, metallic and mineral equity. Fantastic. And just before we move on, is there anything else you'd like to say um, in relation to Metallica? I, I guess the, what, what drives the team here at Metallica is we respect the role that exploration plays, but what's driving the team is the ability to put a project into production. And in mining terms, or I guess mining tenure, 2025 is not far away. It's both exciting and daunting at the same time. But importantly, in addition to del- to delivering for our shareholders, we as a company and as a management team had an enormous opportunity, as I said before, to deliver some significant economic benefits to the communities that are near our project. And I think the future for Met- Metallica is very, very exciting. Mm. Oh, that's excellent, Theo. And so just uh, to close out the conversation, because I recognise you've uh, 
got plenty to get on with. You know, you mentioned earlier you love sport and you've got a family and so on. What's uh, what sort of things do you get up to uh, when you're not working to uh, keep the petrol tank full? Um, having having coached a lot of basketball over the years, I've finally uh, hung up the coach's um, jersey, but we have a 17-year-old son who's now become um, a basketball coach, mm-hmm. so um, driving him to games. Um, and so that's our number one passion. We're very much a basketball family, but um, I do get out on the bike um, riding solo, um, doing a few Ks uh, on weekends and, you know, I sort of stepped that training up and I'm pleased to say that every year I, I do the Brizzy to the Bay to support multiple sclerosis. And um, I've hung up um, the what the 100 kilometre distance jersey. Um, so I think I'll be joining the 50K class in future years. So that's, that's my exercise. Um, but as I said, you know, basketball dominates life at the moment. Uh-huh. So that's what I've got to look forward to. As soon as your, your kid finishes playing the sport, then they... Coaching the sport, you're still going to drive him to the bloody games. Exactly. Hopefully, he'll get his get his peas before year end. <laughs> <laughs> and where are you uh, excited about travelling to next on holidays? Oh, gee, we'll both kids will be hopefully second, but in at uni next year. So, wife and I are very much looking forward to uh, the very first place will probably be Hawaii. Okay. Uh, we're keen to get back to America, and it sounds awful without kids, right? And do adult things. Although I th- I'll probably drag my wife to an NBA basketball game at some stage if we ever go back. So, um, yeah, um, business is going to take me to Japan, which has made the ja- uh, the family very, very jealous because we right. had planned a family holiday there, but COVID uh, got in the way of that. But um, from a holiday perspective. Um, been yearning to get to Hawaii for so many years. Wow, okay. My daughter is very keen to go to Hawaii. I just, uh, I, uh, I was there once when I was young, but uh, I haven't been there, but I've heard it's lovely. So, uh, all right, Theo, well, look, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much, and uh, all the very best with Metallica, and look forward to uh, getting an update soon. Appreciate it, Richard. Thanks okay. for the opportunity. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Trinks. We frequently feature guests from organisations we are currently recruiting to build the company brand as an attraction strategy for candidates. If you would like to promote your organisation's brand as an employer of choice, please contact Richard directly on 0403 588 517 or via email richardt at arateexecutive.com.au. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.